Fifteen years were passed and gone, and the babe was now grown to be a tall lad and a sailor, and went many voyages after merchandise to the islands around where he lived. His mother called him Perseus, but all the people in Seraphis said that he was not the son of a mortal man, and called him instead the son of Zeus, the king of the immortals. For though he was but fifteen, he was taller by a head than any other man on the island, and he was the most skillful of all in running, and wrestling, and boxing, and in throwing the stone and the javelin, and in rowing with the oar, and in playing on the harp, and in all which befits a man. On top of this he was brave and truthful, gentle and courteous, for good old Dictus had trained him well, and well it was for Perseus that he had done so. For now, Danae and her son fell into great danger, and Perseus had need of all his wit to defend his mother and himself. I said before that Dictus's brother was Polydectes, king of the island. He was not a righteous man like Dictus, but greedy and cunning and cruel, and when he saw fair Danae he wanted to marry her, but she would not, for she was not in love with him and cared for no one but her boy, and her boy's father, whom she dreaded she would never see again. At last, Polydectes became furious, and while Perseus was away at sea, he took poor Danae away from Dictus, saying, If you will not be my wife, you shall be my slave. And so Danae was made a slave, and had to fetch water from the well, and grind in the mill, and perhaps was beaten and wore a heavy chain because she would not marry that cruel king. But Perseus was far away over the seas, in the Isle of Samos, and knew nothing of his mother and her languishing in grief. One day on Samos, while the ship was lading, Perseus wandered into a pleasant wood to get out of the sun, and sat down on the turf and fell asleep. As he slept, a strange dream came to him, the strangest dream which he had ever had, there came to him a lady through the wood, taller than he, or any mortal man, but beautiful exceedingly, with great gray eyes, clear and piercing, but also strangely soft and mild. On her head was a helmet, and in her hand a spear, and over her shoulder, above her long blue robes, hung a goatskin, which bore up a mighty shield of brass polished like a mirror. She stood and looked at him with her clear gray eyes, and Perseus saw that her eyelids never moved, nor her eyes, but she looked straight through and through him, and into his very heart, as if she could see all the secrets of his soul, and knew all that he had ever thought or longed for since the day he was born. And Perseus dropped his eyes, trembling and blushing, as the wonderful lady spoke to him. Perseus, you must do an errand for me. Who are you, lady, and how do you know my name? I am Athena, and I know the thoughts of all men's hearts and discern their manhood or their baseness, and from the souls of clay I turn away, and they are blessed but not by me. They fatten at ease like sheep in the pasture, and eat what they do not sow like oxen in the stall. They grow and spread like the gourd along the ground, but like the gourd they give no shade to the traveler and when they are ripe, death gathers them, and they go down unloved into hell, and their names vanish out of the land. 
But to the souls of fire I give more fire, and to those who are manful I give a might more than a man's. These are the heroes, Perseus, the sons of the immortals, who are blessed, but not like the souls of clay. For I drive these men forth by strange paths, Perseus, that they may fight the titans and the monsters, the enemies of gods and men. Through doubt and need, through danger and battle I drive them, and some of them are slain in the flower of youth, Perseus. No man knows when or where, and some of them win noble names, Perseus, and a fair and green old age. But what will be their latter end I know not. No one but Zeus knows that. Tell me now, Perseus, which of these two sorts of men seem to you more blessed? Then Perseus answered boldly, Better to die in the flower of youth, with the chance of winning a noble name, than to live at ease like the sheep, or die unloved and unrenowned. Then that strange lady laughed, and held up her brazen shield, and cried, See here, Perseus, dare you face such a monster as this, and slay it, that I may place its head upon this shield? And in the reflective glare of the shield there appeared a face, and as Perseus looked on it, his blood ran cold. It was the face of a beautiful woman, but her cheeks were pale as death, and her brows were knit with everlasting pain, and her lips were thin and bitter like a snake's, and instead of hair, vipers wreathed about her temples and shot out their forked tongues, while round her head were folded wings like an eagle's, and upon her bosom claws of brass. And Perseus looked a long while and finally said, If there is anything so fierce and foul on earth, it were a noble deed to kill it. Where may I find this monster, mighty Athena? The strange lady then smiled again and said, Not yet. You are too young and too unskilled, for this is Medusa the Gorgon, the mother of a monstrous brood. Return to your home, and do the work which waits for you there. You must play the man in that before I can think you are worthy to go in search of the Gorgon. Then Perseus would have spoken, but the strange lady vanished, and he awoke. And behold, it was a dream. But day and night Perseus saw before him the face of that dreadful woman with the vipers writhing around her head. He returned home. And when he came to Seraphis, the first thing which he heard was that his mother was a slave in the house of Polydectes. Grinding his teeth with rage, he went out and away to the king's palace and through the men's rooms and the women's rooms, and so through all the house, for no one dared to stop him, so terrible and fair was he, till he found his mother sitting on the floor, turning the stone handmill and weeping as she turned it. And he lifted her up and kissed her and bade her follow him forth. But before they could pass out of the room, Polydectes came in raging. And when Perseus saw him, he flew upon him as the mastiff flies upon the boar. Villain, you tyrant, he cried. Is this your respect for the gods and thy mercy to strangers and widows? You shall die. And because he had no sword, he caught up the stone handmill and he lifted it to dash out Polydectes' brains. But his mother clung to him, shrieking, O oh, my son, we were strangers and helpless in this land, and if you kill the king, all the people will fall on us, and we shall both die. Good Dictus, too, who had come in and treated him, remember that he is my brother, 
Remember how I have brought you up and trained you as my own son, and spare him, please, for my sake. Perseus slowly lowered his hand, and Polydectes, who had been trembling all the while like a coward because he knew that he had done wrong, let Perseus and his mother pass. Perseus took his mother to the temple of Athena, and there the priestess made her one of the temple sweepers. For there they knew she would be safe, and not even Polydectes would dare to drag her away from the altar. And there Perseus and the good Dictus and his wife came to visit her every day, while Polydectes, not being able to get what he wanted by force, cast about in his wicked heart how he might get it by cunning. Now he knew for sure that he would never get back Danae so long as Perseus was on the island, so he made a plot to rid himself of him. First, he pretended to have forgiven Perseus, and to have forgotten Danae, so that for a while all went smoothly as ever. After a while he announced that there would be a great feast, and invited to it all the chiefs and landowners, and the young men of the island, and among them Perseus, that they might all do him homage as their king and eat of his banquet in his hall. On the appointed day they all came, and, as the custom was then, each guest brought his present with him to the king, one a horse, another a shawl, or a ring, or a sword, and those who had nothing better brought a basket of grapes or of game. But Perseus brought nothing, for he had nothing to bring, being but a poor sailor. He was ashamed, however, to go to the king's presence without his gift, and he was too proud to ask Dictus to lend him one. So he stood at the door sorrowfully, watching the rich men go in, and his face grew very red as they pointed at him and smiled and whispered, What has that foundling to give? Now this, of course, was what Polydectes wanted, and as soon as he heard that Perseus stood without, he bade them bring him in, and asked him scornfully before them, Am I not your king, Perseus? And have I not invited you to my feast? Where is your present, then? Perseus blushed and stammered while all the proud men round him laughed, and some of them began jeering him openly. This fellow was thrown ashore here like a piece of weed or driftwood, and yet he is too proud to bring a gift to the king? And though he does not know who his father is, he is vain enough to let the old women call him the son of Zeus. And so on and so forth, until poor Perseus grew mad with shame. And hardly knowing what he said, he cried out, A present? Who are you to talk of presents? See if I do not bring a nobler one than all of yours together. So he said, boasting, and yet he felt in his heart that he was braver than all those scoffers and more able to do some glorious deed. Hear him, hear the boaster. What is it to be? cried they all, laughing louder now than ever. Then his dream at Samos came into his mind, and he cried aloud, The head of the Gorgon! He was half afraid after he had said these words, for all the laughter grew louder than ever, and Polydectes loudest of all. You have promised to bring me the Gorgon's head? Then never appear on this island again without it. Go. Perseus ground his teeth with rage, for he now saw that he had fallen into a trap. But his promise lay upon him, and he went without a word. Down to the cliffs he traveled, and looked across the broad blue sea, and he wondered if his dream were true, and prayed in the bitterness of his soul, Athena, was my dream true, and shall I slay the Gorgon? If thou didst really show me her face, let me not come to shame as a liar and a boastful man. Rashly and angrily I promised, but cunningly 
and patiently I will perform. But there was no answer, nor sign, neither thunder nor any appearance, not even a cloud in the sky. And three more times Perseus called, weeping, Rashly and angrily I promised, but cunningly and patiently I will perform. After the third time, he saw a cloud appear far away above the sea. It was a small white cloud, but it was as bright as silver, and it came on nearer and nearer till its brightness dazzled his eyes. Perseus wondered at that strange cloud, for there was no other cloud all around the sky, and he trembled as it touched the cliff below him. As it touched it, it broke and parted, and within it appeared Athena, as he had seen her at Samos in his dream, and beside her a young man more light-limbed than a stag, whose eyes were like sparks of fire. By his side was a scimitar of diamond, all of one clear, precious stone, and on his feet were golden sandals from the heels of which grew living wings. They looked up at Perseus keenly, and yet they never moved their eyes, and they came up the cliff towards him more swiftly than the seagull, and yet they never moved their feet, nor did the breeze stir the robes about their limbs. Only the wings of the youth's sandals quivered, like a hawk's wings as he hangs above the cliff. And Perseus fell down and worshipped, for he knew they were more than man. But Athena stood before him and spoke gently, and bid him have no fear. Perseus, she said, he who overcomes in one trial merits thereby a sharper trial still. You have braved Polydectes and done manfully. Dare you next brave Medusa, the Gorgon? And Perseus said, Try me, for since you spoke to me in Samos, a new soul has come into my breast, and I should be ashamed not to dare anything which I can do. Show me, then, how I can do this. Perseus, said Athena, think well before you attempt, for this deed requires a seven years' journey, in which you cannot repent, or turn back, nor escape. But if your heart fails you, you must die in the unshapen land, where no man will ever find your bones. Better so than live here, useless and despised, replied Perseus. Tell me then, oh tell me, fair and wise goddess, with your kindness, how I can do this one thing, and then, if need be, die. Then Athena smiled and said, Be patient and listen, for if you forget my words, you will indeed die. You must go northward to the country of the Hyperboreans, who live beyond the pole, at the sources of the cold north wind, till you find the three gray sisters, who have but one eye and one tooth between them. You must ask them the way to the nymphs, the daughters of the evening star, who dance about the golden tree in the Atlantic island of the west. They will tell you the way to the Gorgon, that you may slay her, my enemy, the mother of monstrous beasts. Once she was a maiden as beautiful as the morn, till in her pride she sinned a sin at which the sun hid its very face, and from that day her hair was turned to vipers and her hands to eagles' claws, and her heart was filled with shame and rage, and her lips with bitter venom, and her eyes became so terrible that whoever looks on them is turned to stone, and her children are the winged horse and the giant of the golden sword, and her grandchildren are Echidna, the witch-adder, and Geryon, the three-headed tyrant, 
who feeds his herds beside the herds of hell. So she became the sister of the Gorgons, Stheno and Ephriali the Abhorred, the daughters of the Queen of the Sea. Touch them not, for they are immortal, but bring me only Medusa's head. And I will bring it, said Perseus bravely. But how am I to escape her eyes? Will she not freeze me into stone as well? You shall take this polished shield, said Athena, and when you come near her, look not at her yourself, but at her image in the brass, so that you may strike her safely. And when you have struck off her head, wrap it, with your face turned away, in the folds of the goatskin on which the shield hangs, the hide of Amalthea, the nurse of the Aegis Holder. So you will bring it safely back to me, and win yourself renown, and a place among the heroes who feast with the immortals upon the peak where no winds blow. I will go, though I die in going, but how shall I cross the seas without a ship, and who will show me the way? And when I find her, how shall I slay her, if her scales be made of iron and brass? Then the young man spoke, These sandals of mine will bear you across the seas, and over the hill and dale like a bird, as they bear me all day long. For I am Hermes, the far-famed Argus Slayer, the messenger of the immortals who dwell on Olympus. Then Perseus fell down and worshipped while the young man continued on. The sandals themselves will guide you on the road, for they are divine and cannot stray. And the sword itself, the Argus Slayer, will kill her, for it is divine and needs no second strike. Arise and gird them on and go forth. So Perseus arose and girded on the sandals and the sword. And Athena cried, Now leap from the cliff and be gone, set out on your journey. But Perseus lingered a moment. May I not bid farewell to my mother and to Dictus? And may I not offer burnt offerings to you and to Hermes the far-famed Argus Slayer? And to Father Zeus above? You shall not bid farewell to your mother, lest your heart relent at her weeping. I will comfort her and Dictus until you return in peace. Nor shall you offer burnt offerings to the Olympians, for your offering shall be Medusa's head. Now leap, Perseus, and trust in the armor of the immortals. Then Perseus looked down the cliff and shuddered, but he was ashamed to show his dread. Then he thought of Medusa and the renown before him, and he leaped into the empty air. And behold, instead of falling, he floated and stood and ran along the sky as if it were a road. He looked back, but Athena had vanished, and Hermes too, and the sandals led him on northward ever, like a crane who follows the spring toward the Easter fens. <laughs>